Turn with me please to John 14. John 14. 1421. He that has my commandments, Jesus said, and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Are we interested in him manifesting himself to us? Oh, that's just right at the top of the list of things we're interested in. He said, the Amplified said, he'd make himself real to us and show himself to us. And how is that going to happen? So many times, I've been guilty of it myself in times past. People just beg, please, please, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you better. Show yourself to me. Please, please, please. And beg. But that's not what he told us to do. I don't know of a single verse that said, if you want the Lord to manifest himself to you, beg. (laughs) Beg. Beg him, beg him, beg him. I mean, be sincere in your begging. And Jesus will manifest himself to you. No, it's not in there. It sure is in religion. Millions of people believe it. That's what they practice. No, we need to quit begging. We need to do what he said. What did he say do? If you keep my words. Well, that's tougher to do than begging. (laughs) Just roll over and, oh, please, please. Anybody can do that. But... He said, keep my words. That means you respect them. It means you don't forget them. It means you do them. You practice them. Well, go to John, the third chapter, and let's look some more at what he has said. In John 3, we spent some time where he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Didn't say it's available. Didn't say you should. What did he say? You must. I think it's a huge mistake that a lot of people in a lot of churches and a lot of places, if they don't come right out and say it, they kind of leave the idea it's optional some way. If you want to fully come on in and commit it, be better and receive Jesus as your Lord, but you can just come and observe his teachings and be a good person, and that's good too. No, you're either lost or you're saved. You either believe in Him and believe He is the One, believe He is the Messiah, the Christ, believe He's born of a virgin, He paid the price for our sins, He's raised from the dead, He's sitting at the right hand of God Almighty the Father, He's coming again, King of kings, Lord of lords, or you don't. And if you don't believe that, you're not okay, and you're not going to be okay. We don't need to mince words about this. People peddle around too much with this. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Being saved and lost is real. Real. And there is only one way. How many believe it in here today? There is only one way to the Father. There's only one way to be saved. One way. One way. Anybody know what it is? (laughs) You believe on Jesus. You can be wrong about a lot of stuff (laughs) and still be okay if you get this right. What do you mean? Who he is and what he is to you. Well, down at the end of the chapter, let's look at this. There are many things here we could talk about and perhaps we'll come back as we go to 
uh, other chapters and tie some of these together. But for time's sake, look at the 36th verse. John summed it up, John the Baptist, by saying this. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The truth is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the wrath, the impending wrath and judgment of God is already on everybody. Except those who believe in him. It's not like God is in the process of rejecting somebody or sending people to hell. Without his help, you are going to hell. Everybody was already going there. Did you hear me now? Except for Jesus' salvation, the wrath of God, the judgment of God was upon everybody. There's only one way to get out of that group. There's only one way to get out from under that judgment. That's faith in him. Now, chapter 4, let's begin reading this. When the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. He comes to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied. Jesus ever get tired? Yep. He became like other men. With his journey, he sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat or food. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus is dealing with uh, prejudice. And this woman is assuming that he is prejudiced against her. In fact, one translation said that she said, you know, the Jews don't even drink from the same cups as Samaritans. There was a real issue there. Well, prejudice is with us today in all kinds of forms and ways. You hear about uh, black-white, but it's much bigger than that. I mean, you got young people as prejudiced against older people. Older people prejudiced against younger just because they're young. They think, well, they're stupid. They don't know anything. And young people look at older people and think, well, they're old. They're stupid. They don't know anything. <laughs> you got... Poor people that are prejudiced against wealthy people. If they're wealthy, got some substance, they got to be crooks. Got to be. All wealthy people are crooks. <laughs> and you got wealthy people that are prejudiced against poor people. Look at people who are poor and go, all poor people are ignorant and lazy. All poor people. <laughs> You've got denominational people that are prejudiced against non-denominational people. And you've got non-denominational people that are prejudiced against any kind of denomination. Well, if they're denominational, they're in the dark and they're bound up. They need to be like us. And they look at us and go, they are wild and out of control. 
They don't know what they're doing. Here's where you can really identify prejudice of all kinds. Anytime you say, all those folks are like that, you are wrong. There is no such thing as all this group is like that. Well, all women are like that. No, they're not. All men are like this. Well, maybe 90% of the ones you know are. But there's a lot of men around you ain't ever met. All women. Now, anytime you say all women, all white folks, all rich people, all educated people, all Baptists, all charismatics, all Catholics, anytime you say that, you're wrong. Now, the thing to do with prejudice is what Jesus said. And what the words, the word teaches you and I to walk in love. Not always easy, but always right and always effective. Love never fails. If you walk in love fully like you should, some undiscerning people may think you are naive. But if you're secure enough, that won't bother you. I've had people come to me before and go, Brother Keith, Brother Keith. Didn't you know they were talking about you? I said, no. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I said, you don't know that. And they look at you like, oh, come on, Brother Keith. They did everything but call your name. They, Yeah, it was you. <laughs> They're thinking you're being naive. No, listen. Love is not quick to believe the worst. Is it? If you walk in love like you should, somebody come up and slaps you. You'd back up and go, wow, did you trip on something? You must have tripped and your hand fell across my face. (laughs) No, listen, it's about being secure. It's about knowing how to defuse. The enemy is always trying to get something started. If you'll be wise and walk in love and faith, you can defuse it. You're walking across the street and somebody yells at me, hey, honky. I go, oh no, you must have me confused with somebody else. I'm Keith. Hi. (laughs) Keith. And if they think, well, all white people are like that, well, it's my job to give them a revelation. That we white folks are a varied bunch. We're not all the same. (laughs) And you see Jesus. He's dealing with a lot of prejudice right here. One of the things he did. He asked her for a favor. (laughs) That's not something proud prejudiced people do. Oh man. If they need something. They wouldn't ask that person. But he did. He just looked at her and smiled. He knows she's prejudiced. He knows she thinks he is. He just says, I sure would like to have a drink of water. And I don't know, maybe she's been treated badly by Jewish people. Something stuck her in the crawl wrong, you know. She's, she figures this is her chance. A Jewish man needs something from her. Uh-huh. Yeah, you ain't got no use for us till you need something. 
Here you are thirsty and dry. <laughs> so she says, uh-huh, you want, you want something to drink, don't you? Sure would like to have a drink. I thought you Jews don't have any dealings with us Samaritans. I heard you Jews, you wouldn't even drink out of the same cup. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, <laughs> you'd ask me for a drink. <laughs> and I mean, just in a flash, they are off of the subject. Read through the rest of it. No longer do they talk about prejudice and Jews and Samaritans in that sense. They talk about places of worship. But the the animosity, friend, the, the key is if somebody says something derogatory to you, they use condescending or negative terminology or titles or labels or it's just obvious that they're prejudiced and they're treating you wrong if you'll respond in love and faith instead of getting hurt getting mad taking it to heart you can defuse it before it ever gets started come on and you can open up the door for the lord to move hmm be the kind of person that insults just roll off your back like water off a duck's back. You just look at them and just smile and go like you didn't even hear what they said. And people look at you and go, man, you talk about naive. Look at them. They just don't even know what's going on. And you just, you choose not to hear it. You choose not to be offended by it. You choose, because after all, if they say something ugly, they're probably going to go right off and forget about you. So if you go around miffed and upset for three days over it, you're not hurting them. You're hurting you. You're hurting you. You know another word for being prejudiced? Judging. It's exactly what it is. You look at somebody and you judge them and decide what they are based on their gender, their color, their age, their background, whatever. You just look at them and you go, well, they must be that. And a wise man or a wise woman is going to realize, I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. And be absolutely open and non-judgmental and find out what it is with them. And realize, even if they make a terrible first impression, love will say, well, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day. (laughs) Are you getting the spirit of love, what we're talking about? If you walk in love like you ought to, people may think you're naive. But you're so secure, that doesn't bother you. Am I right? Am I right? Oh, it's so wonderful. My grandmother, who's in heaven now, Sister Lena Pearl Moore, secretary and treasurer and Sunday school teacher, she had a reputation for being that way, and she was. In all the years I knew her, I saw her get perturbed one time. And she didn't cuss or show out then. But most of the time, I mean 98% of the time, she's just amazing. Somebody came to her one time, they wanted to talk about somebody that they said was hypocrite in the church. They were shouting and carrying on, but it wasn't God. And they were dancing, but it was just acting a fool. Dancing, but it was just dancing in the flesh. They jumping up and down and carrying on because we're Pentecostal church, you know. And uh, she thought, she said, well, dancing is good. Running is good. Jumping is good. She said, 
run fast, jump high, dance hard. Just walk straight when you hit the ground. <laughs> what are they going to say to that? You know. <laughs> so they quit talking about it, went back to the house. But she always had something nice to say about people. Always. Oh, well, you know, somebody do something mean, you know. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, somebody needs to get a hold of that. She says, well, you know. I heard another grandmother say this one. She says, we've seen some people out on the street corner. Boy, they were doing some ugly stuff. And she said, well, you know, that's somebody's baby, honey. Somebody's baby. I thought, yeah, somebody's baby. And (laughs) can you look through the junk and find something good, find some glimmer of hope, find something to be thankful for? That doesn't make you naive. It makes you strong. It makes you stronger than most everybody else around. That's what Jesus did. Well, he said if you knew who it was, you'd ask of him. Verse 10. Give me to drink. He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get? This living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Gave us this well, drank there of himself, his children, his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Friend, everything down here, anything you think you might get some satisfaction from, will be partial satisfaction and very temporary satisfaction. I don't care what it is, if it's owning things, if it's some kind of a physical desire, I don't care what it is, any satisfaction down here can only be partial and temporary. Oh, but what comes from him? Do you know what it is? It is complete satisfaction. And it is permanent. Permanent. Eternal. This living water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. How many prejudices out the window now? It's gone. Ain't nobody thinking about Jew and Samaritan. She said, I want some of this water. Give me. Some of this water. What a change in a few minutes. That's what walking in love will do. What if Jesus had got mad? What if he'd have got offended? What if he'd have said to her? She said, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. What you asking me for a drink for? And he looked at her and said, woman, I don't know you. I never done anything to you. What you going off on me for? I just asked you for a drink of water. Forget about it. I'll get somebody else to get a drink. That's what your flesh wants to do every day. If you do, if you yield to it, you'll be just like any Joe or Jill sinner down the street. Anybody can do that, can't you? But when your flesh wants to tell them off, wants to ask them, what is your problem? How many understand? You are not going to win thousands with that attitude. 
You're not going to say, what is your problem? And they look at you and go, I want to come to church with you. (laughs) Ain't going to (laughs) happen. You'll feel like saying, what is your problem? It'll come up in your mind. It'll come up on your tongue. Your tongue will start to say it. And then you'll go, whoa. What can I do for you today? We got to walk in love. We can't yield to temper. We can't get offended if we're going to be the witnesses that we're supposed to be. Getting offended, getting upset, getting mad, holding grudges, ruin your testimony. It'll ruin your witness. You know, uh, I've had people do things with me just to irk me. Because they wanted to see the preacher lose it. They wanted to prove that there's nothing to this. That it's just a big old act. Just a big old put on thing. And so they just did it on purpose. Just to see if you'd get mad. And lose it. And go off. And so you need to realize what's going on. It's a test. (laughs) And you need to look at it and go. How silly. (laughs) And just keep letting them think you're naive. Would you hear what so-and-so said about you? Oh, I don't think they mean it. Oh, yeah, I saw it in their eyes. They meant every word. Nah, nah, they just, nah. Yeah, they were tired. (laughs) They were tired saying stuff they didn't mean. Nah, nah, they, they don't mean that. And just keep on responding that way. I'm not making this up now, am I? What did Jesus say concerning the people that drove spikes in his hands and nailed him to the cross? What did he say? Hanging up there with blood flowing out of him, with him bleeding to death and dying. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that love? Does he really expect you and me to do that? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. If he could do it with them driving spikes through his hands and feet, surely we can do it. Sitting in an air-conditioned room in a comfortable chair, just because they called us a little name we didn't care for, or said something behind our back. You understand what I'm saying? This should be easy for us when you see it correctly. The woman said, give me some of this water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. And come here. <laughs> now he he's had a word of knowledge. While he was talking to her. And she's all. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. He's seeing through her exterior. And a word of knowledge about her heart. And so many times when people are mean. They're trying to hide something. They don't want you to see something. So many folks are so insecure, and they should humble themselves and deal with it, but they don't. They harden themselves. Anytime something comes up in your life that you need to deal with, you've got one of two ways you can go. You can harden yourself and resist, or you can humble yourself and repent. 
Everybody with me now? And it happens all the time. It happens to everybody. You, me, everybody. There will be things come up in your life and you'll see you're not right. You'll see you're wrong. But you'll have a choice. You can either harden yourself and get hard as nails and start biting at people. Or you can humble yourself. You can say, that's right. That's me. I need help. (laughs) Might be hard on your pride. But it's good for your situation. Because the humble get what? They get the grace. I said they get the grace. And by His grace, you can come over anything. Anything. Now, she does the right thing. What did she say then? She doesn't just try to completely hide it. She tries to twist it to where it don't sound so bad. What did she say? I don't have a husband. At the moment. (laughs) He said, well, that's right. You don't have a husband. You have had five. And the man you with now is not your husband. All kind of revelation here. Just because somebody was your husband doesn't mean they always are your husband. And just because you live with somebody doesn't make them your husband. Or your wife. A lot of revelation there. But I am sure that the Lord didn't bring this up to embarrass this woman. Or to lord it over her in a condemnatory way. Now a lot of people do that. But that's not the Lord. I said that's not the Lord. He didn't say this to her because he wants her to be embarrassed. And somebody says, well, you know, why would he bring it up? It's so uncomfortable. It's so Because faith is of the heart. And if you're going to receive from God, your heart has to be right. Your heart has to be clear. And anything that you're hiding in your heart stands between you and the Lord and what you need to receive. Oh, are y'all with me, friends? This is so important. I'm telling you, he didn't bring this up. The father didn't give him this word of knowledge about her previous relationships and failures and, and all that to make her feel bad. To drag this out. And yet, she needed to see it. Didn't she? She had covered over this. This was a veneer that she's projecting to the public. But inside, she feels like a failure. Inside, she feels like, how can she be a holy woman of God? She's made so many mistakes. She's messed up so many lives. Her life is a disaster. If you feel that way, even though you're managed to smile and put on a good front, your heart's not in a condition to receive from the Lord. Whether it's being born again, whether it's being filled with the Spirit, whether it's healing, whether it's an answer, whether it's direction, you got to come clean with God. Your heart's got to be open before Him. He already sees. He already knows. But we've got to come and lay it all out. <laughs> you see the progression of this as they go. He said, go call your husband and come back. (laughs) He knew she wasn't going to do that. (laughs) But they needed to deal with this. 
they need to get this out of the way. This is a block. This is a hindrance between her and God. She said, I don't have one. And he said, well, that's right. You've had five, and the one you got now is not your husband. Then she wants to get uh, theological then. (laughs) She said, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty obvious. How would he know? And you know, our fathers worship God in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, she's a little slow coming around. It would have been better if first thing he'd have said, if he'd have said, go call your husband and come here. If she'd have said, Lord, I've made a mess. How many understand she'd have been way better off right then if she'd have said, Lord, I've had five disasters, and I'm shacked up with a guy now, and we're not married. That's how you get grace. But see, people are ashamed. They don't want people to know. They don't want to admit it herself, And so they lie, and they put up fronts, and they act deceptive, and they act false. And so instead of then when he says by revelation, you have had five husbands. When you got now, it's not your husband. She should have said, oh, Lord, you're right. Lord, you're right. Have mercy. I've made such a mess. She didn't say that. She says, you must be a prophet. <laughs> and you know, our theologians believe that right here is the only place that you can truly worship God. Now, no, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place. And friend, I want you to learn to discern head from heart. Are y'all with me now? Some people are. Learn to discern head from heart. Learn when people are talking to you out of their head and it's a waste of time. You know, people have giant fights over something that's got nothing to do with the problem. Don't they? People talk in circles for hours and wear their stuff out. And never even touch the reason that the issue started. Because <laughs> they talk out of their head. And they talk out of their soul and their feelings. And oh, friend, oh, oh, this can go on and on and on until you're ready to pass out. <laughs> Years ago, I thought as a minister, I'm supposed to be available to everybody all the time, whatever they want to talk about, whatever they want to say and do. And so anybody that wanted to talk to me about anything, I made myself available and about killed myself. People will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about what they thought and what they felt and what Susie said and what Mildred thought about what Susie said and (laughs) what Aunt Jenny thought about what Mildred thought about what Susie said. Oh, and I mean, I am counseling and counseling and counseling and counseling and, and listening. Mostly I'm listening while people just rave and rant and go on and on. And then it's time for me to preach and I'm wore out. 
And I got a head full of what Aunt Minnie thought (laughs) and what Sister Susie said. And I realized I'm not ready to minister. I'm not in good shape. Am I really doing the right thing by letting these folk wear me out like this? By sitting and listening to this night and day? And I saw, Keith, you're not being led. There's times to talk to people and there's time not to. And as I grew, I learned. I began to learn. People would be talking about something and I'd just say, stop. And I'd start talking about something that did seem unrelated. But the Lord's helping me to get out of my head and the heart. Are you with me now? All of us need to learn this. You need to learn it with your spouse. You need to learn it with your kids. You need to learn it with everybody. So that you don't waste time for nothing. For nothing. For no reason. You know Nicodemus, we read about that in the previous chapter. He came to Jesus, knock, 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 middle of the night, knocking on the door. And he said, hi, I'm Nicodemus. Nice night we're having out here, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you got to be a ministry come from God because nobody could do stuff that you do. Except God was with him. I know a lot of the Pharisees don't think so, but you know, seems plain to me. Nicodemus doesn't really know why he's there. Are y'all with me now? What got him there in the middle of the night? What's going on with him? Did Jesus discourse and discuss with him what ministries are of God? and What did he do? He cut through all of it. And he just looked at him and said, you must be born again. He didn't come there to be talking about born again. He didn't have a clue that born again existed. Friend, we must develop. We must mature. So that we don't just talk stuff out of our head all the time. And be phony. So much of this stuff is phony. People are so prim and so proper and so full of baloney. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they? Hallelujah. They talk, 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 talk. And it means nothing. Amen. And their heart's not in it. And they're not being real. It's junk. It's displeasing to the Lord. Amen. It's hindersome. He said, woman, <laughs> believe me. The hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. And she's looking at the salvation that came through the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must. Somebody say must. You got to worship him how? How? In spirit. Not in flesh, not in head, in spirit. And what else? Not phony. Not false. Not pretend. In truth. Somebody say in truth. In truth. Say it again. In truth. In truth. Honesty. Is so important. It's hard to emphasize it enough. The Bible says in Hebrews, let me read it to you. Hebrews 4.13. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What does he see inside you? Everything. If you try to act like it's different than it is, can you fool him for a nanosecond? 
But what is your pretending going to do? Proves you're not serious about talking to him. You're going to act like he doesn't know? That's insulting to him. That's disrespectful. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You shall find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When do you find the Lord? When you quit playing. I said when you quit playing. You quit talking your game. Back in the 70s we said shucking and jiving. <laughs> and the problem is people have grown up with this. Their parents did it. They were trained in it. And they're just good at it. They can just smile and talk 90 miles an hour and say nothing. And that is a hindrance between you and God. I said, that's a hindrance. Honesty is something, it's a quality decision you make. And it's a practice. I know as I have grown in the Lord, I've developed in being able to be more honest with myself. I've developed in being able to look down inside myself and be honest with myself about what my motives are, what I'm really meaning, what I'm really wanting. Sometimes it's not pretty, but that's when it's critical that you be honest between you and the Lord. If you want help from Him, He already sees and knows everything. What do you got to do? What do you got to do? Open your heart wide and be absolutely honest. Completely. No excuses. Somebody say no excuses. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. Pride resists. Humility repents. And who gets the grace? Acts 8.21 in the New Living. You know, Simon the sorcerer wanted to have the ministry that Peter and John had. But he tried to buy it with money. And they said to him in the New Living, You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. If you want to have a part in the things of God, what has to happen? It's your heart. It's all about the heart. People get hung up on the outward things. They get hung up on the natural things. And that's a big mistake. Because the Lord, man looks after the outward appearance. But what did the scriptures say? The Lord looks at the heart. He's training us to do that, isn't he? Now look at the outside. What difference does it make? How tall they are, how short they are. Their color, their gender, their background. That doesn't tell you their heart. It's the heart that makes a person what they are. That's what the Lord sees. He sees your heart. And He is looking for people. He is seeking for people. Now God's got everything. What would He be seeking for? He's seeking for people that will worship Him. Oh, with none of the baloney. None of the pretense. None of the falseness. They will worship Him 
with an open heart, in spirit, right out of their heart. Not a shallow head, emotion, feeling, trivial, false stuff, but right out of a real heart and incomplete truth. The world around about us is full of lies. The God of this world, Satan, is the father of lies. And he tries to weave lies and deception and junk and falseness in everything. And it's all around you. And you got to stay on your watch to not let it in you. And not let it influence you. I've had people numerous times that I was dealing with in the world. And they were taken aback by honesty. It ministered to them. And at times I didn't expect it to. We were dealing with something. And I looked them in the eye. And I said something. And they just stopped and said, you really mean that, don't you? This happened to me numerous times. I said, well, yeah. This is well, I've heard that phrase many times, but not quite like that. Why? No junk. Somebody say, no junk. No junk. No artificial additives or preservatives. <laughs> no unnecessary false filler. No junk. Somebody say, no junk. Say it again. No junk. No junk. When you come in before the Lord and you lift up your hands, what should be going on in your heart? No junk. Come on, lift up your hands and stand on your feet right now. Just practice it. Say it out loud. No junk. No falseness. No junk. Open. Clear. Free. Honest. True. Glory to God. Lift up your hands. Lift up your heart. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.